Hi, welcome to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast, a weekly broadcast of our Sunday sermon. Covenant Presbyterian Church is an open, affirming congregation, and we're so glad you found us. Our primary mission is to equip God's people to serve Christ in the world. In our weekly messages, we hope that you'll find inspiration, encouragement, and even challenge for your faith journey. Please listen with us now. It is, in my humble opinion, a really good time for television. Many of my favorite shows are back this year with new and exciting seasons coming soon. House of Dragons, Slow Horses, and one currently streaming on HBO Max, True Detective. Do you all watch this? It is all over, overall, a phenomenal series. Four seasons and in each, season two less so, I think, but the setting is intriguing, the plot is action-packed, and the characters are complicated. This latest season, it stars Jodie Foster, yes, please, and it is set in the terribly dark, like 24 hours dark, bitterly cold, like negative degrees cold, landscape of Ennis, Alaska. It's dramatic, and I won't spoil anything here, but the opening scene, and it shows a native hunter who's tracking caribou. Something spooks the animals. It's the wind screaming or the world heaving or some bad thing approaching that we can't quite see on screen, but suddenly the beautiful beasts are gracefully leaping off a cliff to their own deaths, and we are hooked. (laughs) Will more deaths follow this stampede? The answer, of course, is yes. But what is going on here? What is the evil? Is it the fierce and glacial landscape? Is it ghosts of ancestors past? Is it a new evil that's loose in the world? Is there someone capable of saving them? Or are these complicated detectives just part of the problem? You can see how this has all the markings of a splendid crime show. There are plenty of demons to choose from here. Evil is a moving target. Now, in the passage for today, Jesus tackles evil too. It's early in his ministry. Jesus has been baptized, has been tempted, has called a couple disciples, and now, His first thing is to go to Capernaum and to teach. It's a dusty village by the Sea of Galilee, and he walks into the synagogue, takes up a scroll, and he begins to preach. And as the crowd is ooing and aahing over his clearly apparent authority and grace, what happens? A man pops up out of nowhere and interrupts him with screaming. In our translation, 
The writer says the man has an unclean spirit. Other versions say he is a man deeply disturbed. One even says he is a man with a defiling and demonic possession. Whatever it is, something is definitely happening here. And the conflict is clear. It is Jesus versus the evil that moves through the world. But we might have some questions. What exactly is evil? Dr. Daniel Migliore is a well-known theologian from the seminary I attended, and he has a foundational text I turn to quite a bit. It's called Faith Seeking Understanding, an Introduction to Christian Theology. And Migliore says that evil is this. Evil is neither illusion nor mere appearance nor a gradually disappearing force in the world. Evil is real, he says. Evil is here. Writing at the turn of this century, he admits that an earlier era might have thought of evil as a result of a cultural lag or inadequate education or insufficient social planning. And we might have been convinced of the gradual and inevitable progress that the cosmos and humankind were making toward a paradise in which all suffering and evil would be eliminated. But we, he says, at the beginning of the 21st century, we, I would add today, know that all such faith in our progress is gone. Just look around. So if evil is real, evil is here, still we ask, what is evil? You know, it is not easy for a Presbyterian pastor to conjure up demons. It is not often that I wish I was Pentecostal or Catholic, but this might be one of those days. I would have better luck if I was a Hollywood screenwriter here. Descriptions of love, encouragement for the church, current events of today, I got you. But evil and demons? What is this, Hollywood? My go-to podcasters who I listen to on the lectionary are Reverend Eric Fissler and Reverend Rob McCoy, and they worry over preachers preaching this passage. What are we to do? Demons, they say, they could be a host of things. The Methodist pastor says, suggest, demons could be mental illness that can be crippling or binding, but remember the red flags there because a lot of people have dealt with trauma when they've had a mental illness and then they were told it was a demon, so be careful there. It's the symptoms of mental illness that are unclean. The UCC pastor says, what about systems? If anything is demonic, it is racism and other oppressive systems of our world. But, of course, we have to remember that Jesus offers forgiveness and redemption for those who participate 
in such systems. There's a little bit of back and forth, and finally, they conclude that the preacher should only talk about demons if they reveal their own demons from their spiritual journey. But then they remember preaching is not a therapy session, and we are back to square one. What is evil? For his part, uh, Martin Thielen, who's a Methodist pastor, pastor, takes a look at it in his book, What is the Least I Can Believe and Still Be a Christian? He sees evil as the pain and suffering caused by bad choices we humans make. So we have free will and we sin. And these choices cause untold suffering. That definition is pretty cut and dry. But then he goes and complicates things, and he says it's not just the bad things that people do, but it's also the good things that we don't do. We don't speak up, we don't act out, we turn a blind eye, we neglect to engage. That is evil too. So evil, it seems, is a moving target. Now Jesus, for his part, he sees evil clearly. No problem there. He identifies it, casts it out. It's anomalous, antithetical to the message he preaches to the person he is. And the demon opposes God's will, distorts the good of creation. Jesus does not condemn the person. He carefully separates the spirit from the individual, the unclean spirit, and then he frees the man for new life once the evil has left. Jesus has evil under control, and we are glad. But that's Jesus. What about us? What about normal people? The disciples who, like us, are not divine, how does Jesus encourage them to confront evil? What do your typical, everyday, ordinary folks do when we face demons? Funnily enough, there's a pretty serious plot twist here. If you keep reading in the scripture, the next pericopes, you're going to find out that Jesus tells the people who are demon-freed, who are witnessing this, to keep quiet. Do you know this? It's called the Messianic Secret, and we study it in seminary. There are a lot of ideas, and it starts to develop right after this episode. After Jesus casts out the unclean spirit, people start to swarm to him with their need for healing. Uh, right after Jesus goes to his disciples' mother's house, casts out her terrible fever, a leper tracks Jesus down, begs to be healed, he's healed. And in all of these situations, Jesus tells them to be silent about his powers over evil. Even the demons, Jesus commands, shut up. What is going on here? Most often, scholars think about the messianic secret as related to Jesus' own identity. Jesus, they say, doesn't want the word to get out yet for some reason that he is divine. 
that he is the Christ. So he's trying to shield that from being known for now. And the scholars come up with various ideas. They say, well, maybe he doesn't want to suffer what John the Baptist suffers. We know he does. But maybe the crowds are too much for him. He doesn't want this press of people. And yet that is his work. The one that I think makes the most sense here is because it is not yet Jesus' time. The hour has not come. It will. And so he tells them here to keep quiet. You can see why scholars really study this. (laughs) Don't think they found the one that makes total sense yet. But what if... We've been looking in the wrong place. What if the command to keep quiet is not only about Jesus' own fate, but about our human response to his power too? What if Jesus is saying, don't go blabbing about this because if you go saying the demon is gone from so-and-so, then you're going to be saying the demon is here on so-and-so pretty soon. We see some problems developing there. Don't let it land, Jesus says. Keep evil a moving target and keep your focus on me. For her part, Madeline L. Engle says this. I believe that consistently we need to look for good and not for evil. That when we look for evil, we call up evil, while heaven comes closer when we acknowledge it. The church, for sure, has done untold damage by identifying evil demons in the world. There's the demon of being a woman, (laughs) subjugated, mistreated, abused. There's the demon of sex, ignored, repressed, attacked, shamed. There's the demon of being gay, prayed about, counseled over, hidden away kicked out. Daniel Migliore again says this, when individual human beings, groups, or nations sure of their innocence and convinced of the utter wickedness of their enemies claim for themselves the right and the power to rid the world of evil, they often become themselves agents of evil. Maybe this is why the main line shies away from acknowledging evil at all. Maybe because we are afraid we will get it wrong. And maybe that means that this time we got it right. <laughs> Scripture tells us not to participate in or to perpetuate evil, but we are asked not to dwell on it, too. 
to keep our eyes fixed on Christ and let evil be a moving target. For his part, Karl Barth, who is a great Reformed theologian, and I can just see my seminary professors clapping their hands that I'm quoting him today in this sermon. For his part, Karl Barth defines evil as the alien power of nothingness that arises mysteriously from what God does not will in the act of creation. And Bart says that God alone is able to conquer the power of nothingness. The power of evil should be rated as low as possible in relation to God and as high as possible in relation to ourselves. There are critiques here, good ones. Is his approach an invitation to our passivity? We need to explore more patience and protest as a Christian response. But if you look at Bart's life, he himself was very active in the church struggle during the Nazi period in Germany. And he started not from his ability to identify evil and to control it, but from his confidence in the superiority of God's grace, of God's grace that empowered him to fight against seemingly impossible odds. May it be so. Hallelujah. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast. I invite you to visit our website, covpresatl.org. That's C-O-V-P-R-E-S-A-T-L.org. There you'll find current worship information, links to our live Sunday morning streaming service, and our full archive of recorded services. You'll also find out more about us and how to get in touch. I wish you well in these strange times. God is with us. Grace and peace to you.